Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Sarashiva Samarambam Shankaracharya Madhyamam Asmaracharya Paryantam Vande Guru Paramparam Ishwaro Guradmeti Murti Beda Vivagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaham Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatosmiham Om Narayana <coughs> Govinda Chapter 7 Direct and Indirect Knowledge <coughs> O Arjuna, if you wish to know me without doubt, commit your mind to me, surrender to me, and take refuge in yoga. What does surrender to me mean? Understand that Ishwar is the giver of the results of the action. That, huh? If you understand that Ishwar is giving the results of the action, your anxiety about getting what you want, about what will happen, your anxiety about your future, about your life will disappear. You'll understand that you that everything you need hasn't been always supplied, is supplied now, and will always be supplied. So you can stop worrying about what's going to happen. If as long as you're worried about what's going to happen, uh, your mind is not going to be available for discrimination. Just a simple, just a simple equation. You, your mind only can think of one thing at a time, and if it's worried about what's happening, or what has happened, or what's about to happen, it's not going to be contemplating and discriminating. So, the surrender to Ishwar is just simply in terms of understanding that what that the results of your action belong in the Dharma field to the Dharma field and they're not up to you. So that's what he means by surrender. And therefore what? Take refuge in yoga. Yoga means what? You take everything as prasad from Ishwara. And that right, attitude neutralizes your likes and your dislikes and your mind becomes prepared for understanding and practice of, of knowledge. He said, I will teach you direct, <clears throat> indirect knowledge <clears throat> and immediate knowledge, knowing which there is nothing more to know. We just discussed that. Um, immediate knowledge is what? Knowledge of what's immediate. What is it that's immediate? Me. Awareness. That's the most immediate thing. That knowledge is, doesn't require media. A media is something that goes between one thing and another. Like how do you get a, how do you watch a movie on your computer with a CD media? The media is what? The movie is there and the media delivers the what? the movie to you. 
So there's a media, there's, there's something between you and your experience. That's the media that delivers it. But this knowledge is immediate. It means there's no media, no what vehicle required for what? This knowledge. Why? Because, as we just said earlier, uh, before, before the break, uh, the distance between you and yourself is zero. <laughs> the, the distance between you, the, the chair and the wood is zero. There's no distance. So the knowledge doesn't require media. The knowledge just requires what? That your ignorance about yourself be removed. And tat tomasi, you are that, is the, is the mantra that will what? That reveals the fact that the seeker is what he or she is seeking. The seeker is the sought. There's no difference between you and what you're seeking. The seeker is always looking for an object to, to find. When you get Vedanta, you, you, be, you become a finder. You, your seeking stops. <laughs> Tons of emails all the time, every year. Thank you so much, my seeking stopped. Yeah, your seeking has to stop because there, there's only you. There's nothing to seek outside. There is no object. The self that you're seeking cannot be turned into an object. It can only be uncovered by what? By removing your ignorance about it. And the teaching is just a means for what? Removing the ignorance. So that's what it means by immediate knowledge. And, you, and if you know that, what? There's nothing more to know. This is from an Upanishad statement. What is it knowing which everything else is as if known? What is it, knowing which, everything else is known? What would that be? Where, where do you experience objects? What is the location of an object? Mind. Mind is the location of objects. And where is the mind experienced? In me. In me. So what's the source of the mind? Me. So how far is the object from them from me? No distance. The object is me. Think about it. Why does it look like objects are away from you? And you need a media to get to them. Why does it look like objects are outside you. We'll take physical objects now. Why does it look like a physical object is away from you? Yeah. Identification with the body. If if you're the body, then I'm over here. But that doesn't work, does it? Why? Because the body, your body is as much an object to you as my body is an object to you, isn't it? 
Huh? <laughs> Isn't it? So, huh? Your body's an object to you just like my body's an object to you. What's the difference? There's no difference, which means what? I can't be over here, can I? <laughs> and your body appears in you just like my body appears in you, doesn't it? So what's the difference between the appearance of your body and the appearance of my body? No difference. Are the yous different? Are the you that sees the body different? Is the consciousness that sees your body different from the consciousness that sees my body? No, yeah, that's right, no. What is the source of the body? The self. What makes it look like the object, the mind and the body are different, are away from the self? What is it? Maya. Yeah, Maya. Simply ignorance of this fact. That's it. <laughs> the bodies, when you realize this, the bodies always look like they're out there. The bodies don't stop looking like they're out there. My body will still look like it's over here for to your body. Don't think there's going to be some big orgasmic merger and my body and your body are going to melt into one and there's going to be one big orgasmic oneness experience. Because that's not going to happen. The merger just takes place in your understanding. That's all. So you see differences, but you know the differences aren't real. You see division and separation, but you know the separation and the division is not real. So you still function here. Your body still functions. Everything stays the same here. But there's a shift in my vision. From the point of view of the body, the individual, huh, to what? Limitless awareness. And so, <clears throat> knowing which there is nothing more to know, he says, then, among many thousands of people, only a rare person seeks freedom. <laughs> it's a small group here. <laughs> There's seven billion people on the planet, and we got like 20 people in the room. <laughs> No, oh, there's other people seeking freedom, but you know what I mean. So, and among those, and among those who make an effort to be free, an equally rare person comes to know me in reality as I am. That means what? Just seeking isn't good enough. There's certain qualifications are necessary. Right? We've discussed those, a number of those qualifications. Life's a zero-sum game. The joy is not in the object. Enlightenment is not experiential. Viveka, discrimination, dispassion, clarity of mind, control of the senses, etc., 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 swadharma, so forth. Yeah. And what? A teacher and a proper teaching. A proper method and a, a realized teacher. A person who can wield the knowledge. So those are all there. So that's why it's rare. 
because all those factors need to be in, in place before this knowledge is going to happen and become firm. So, anyway, so. But, he said, no, so now, now what are we going to do now? I said, now that we're clear that we're, that we're ready to do the work, we're not going to, we don't, we're not accept this, there's nothing to do, I'm not a doer idea. That's a specious notion. That, that is, is the truth, but it's only the truth from this point of view. It's not the truth from this point of view. And those teachers deliver that the truth from this point of view to the person at this point of view, and the person doesn't get it. Or the person thinks he's got it intellectually. Oh, I get it. There's nothing I have to do, meaning the jiva. And so he just sits still and doesn't do anything. It says, I'm waiting for grace. Well, worst thing that can happen. You've thrown away the most important factor in the equation, which is your own efforts. That's why we have six chapters discussing what you can do, what you should do. We didn't even discuss the lifestyle of a karma yogi, really. There's lifestyle issues there that need to be addressed also when we talk about karma yoga. You can get around to that. So, so now that it's clear that I'm ready to do the work, and I'm committed, I'm deeply committed, I have that desire to be free, then we're going to have to find out, you know, we're going to have to see what our backup is. There's another factor that can be a big help in this, a huge help. And what is that? Ishwara. Ishwara means your environment, your, the field of your experience. That's what Ishwara is. That's God. Because it's it, God is God. Your field, your life is your God. Is God to you? Why? Because everything that you get comes from your life, doesn't it? Huh? Have you ever got anything that didn't come from your from your life, from your circumstances, your situation? Every single thing you got came from your circumstances, your situation. From your mom and your pop and your brother and your sister and your friends and your family and your, your school and every, huh? every single thing came from your immediate circumstances. That's what's called Ishwara. Ishwara expands beyond your immediate circumstances. It includes the circumstances of everything. But as far as the jiva as an individual is concerned, he or she is dependent, what? On his immediate environment. And when you're completely egocentric, when you're completely vain and self-centered, you don't take your environment into account. You think you're what's important. You don't think your environment is more important than you. Even though you depend completely on your environment for everything, you think what? You're more important than the environment, and it's the environment's job to look after you. You don't think, I have a duty to my environment, do you? Even though your environment's looking after you 24-7. Your education, your body, your health, all that stuff's part of your life. All, you're depending completely on your environment. 
And so, and so if you're depending upon this factor, you should know what it is and see how it's taking care of you. Then you've got a big help here. Huh? Then you've got what? If you acknowledge your environment, if you acknowledge Ishwara, suddenly you've got a big friend on your side. <laughs> you not only got yourself, what? you got the power that runs the whole universe on your side. In your corner, fighting this battle of life. Huh? So, huh? so, the, the second stage is I learn to depend upon what? Shift my attention from what? The objects in my environment to Ishwara, the one that controls and regulates and governs my environment. I learn to depend upon myself because Ishwara is myself and not on the objects. Now, this is hard to do. Why? Because for my whole life I've been depending on objects, circumstances, people, places, right? All these environmental factors I've completely depended upon for my happiness. And that hasn't worked. So now I have to shift my shift my dependency to what? To myself. So I need to know what myself is. <laughs> and see myself operating here in these forms, as these forms. So in this stage, what we're worshiping Ishwara in form. If, if reality is non-dual, then you're Ishwara, I'm Ishwara, the lights are Ishwara, huh? your brain is Ishwara, your thoughts are Ishwara, your feelings are Ishwara, everything is Ishwara, isn't it, if reality is non-dual? So I need to understand what God or Ishwara is. And I need to relate to Ishwara in a way that is what? Harmonious and, and helpful. Not uh, have a fight or a quarrel with Ishwara. Because if you rub against Ishwara, Ishwara is going to rub back. And that's not going to be one of those little fights you're going to win. So, huh? so this, these next verses are all about who is this Ishwara? What it is? This is knowledge of God. God knowledge. I said you can get moksha through self-knowledge or through God knowledge. Both of them, what? Both of them lead to the self. The self isn't God and the self isn't the jiva. The self is what? That which gives Ishwara the power to create the world and that which gives the jiva the power to what? Live, to think, and feel. It's the same self in Ishwara that's in jiva. And that's what? Knowing that self frees you from both jiva and from Ishwara. Those are the only two sources, what? Of problems. Me, jiva, and two, Ishwara, the world. The world is Ishwara. Ishwara Maya has created this world of objects and this environments in which I find myself. Air, fire, water, earth, and space. 
mind, intellect. He's going to explain now what Ishvara is, okay? There's the chart. This is, I didn't invent the chart, okay? <laughs> the chart comes right from here, from this verse. Verse 4. He just made it into a graphical story. Graphical representation. Earth. Water. Fire. Air. Space. What is it? Air, fire, water, earth, and space. That's five. Huh? Mind. Intellect. And the sense of doership. This is called the ego or the doer. The idea of doership. Constitute the eight principles of my lower nature. Okay. Other than this is my essential nature. What what is other than this? What is other than this? This is everything that is. The elements, huh? And reflected consciousness. Huh? Mind, intellect, ego, and five elements. Matter and sentient life. Life and what? Matter. That's the lower nature of what? Of awareness. Okay? And other than this is my essential nature by which which is also the nature of the individual. See the little ohm here? The ohm here, what? The same ohm that's here. So the ohm that's supporting the individual is the same ohm that's supporting the total. By which all beings, beings are sentient beings. Now what's a sentient being? A sentient being is what? Matter and consciousness. Matter is not sentient. Sentient means knowing, living. Matter is not living, and matter doesn't know anything. And consciousness isn't living, and consciousness isn't knowing anything other than itself. It's self-knowing. So it doesn't know any objects. So you can't call it knowing as we understand the word knowing. So you don't, huh? Consciousness, there's no, consciousness isn't alive and it doesn't know. Consciousness is present and it's conscious. And matter huh, is, is present, but it's not conscious, so it can't know either, is it? So both spirit, consciousness, and matter, neither one of them are sentient. Then how do we get life? How do we get jivas, conscious beings, bugs, butterflies, trees, plants, animals, and humans, gods, demons, all these conscious beings? How do we get them? We put the two together. <laughs> huh? Consciousness 
enlightens, joins with, merges with, or shines on, or reflects on matter, and what? And that creates what? A sentient being. A sentient being is a combination, a mixture of matter and consciousness. Isn't that true about you? Isn't there a material portion and what? A conscious portion. That's all people are. That's it. Nothing more than that. Well, that, that's pretty simple except for one thing. What's the problem with that? Which one am I? <laughs> Which part am I? Am I the consciousness part? Am I the material part? Am I both parts? Who am I? This is why jivas don't know who they are because they've got two parts. They're confused. This is duality. Hmm? Got these two principles, two opposite principles operating to make a third principle which is a living conscious being. So that living conscious being is made up of two contradictory principles. No wonder the jivas are confused. Sometimes they think they're their bodies and sometimes they think they're their spirit. Which one am I? Am I the body? And what, what, are, what is the material portion now? Okay, think about this. Think, now think about this carefully. It's not too hard to see that air, fire, water, earth, and space are material, and they're not me, is it? That's not so hard, is it? Yeah, it's pretty clear you're not your, your body. Your body is that. Although it's very easy to identify with your body. Why? Because consciousness pervades every atom of matter. Just like what? The wood pervades every atom of the chair. <laughs> so where's the separation between consciousness and matter? Am I the conscious principle or am I the material principle? What am I? Now that shouldn't be too hard because the, the material principle is an object, isn't it? So you can at least see that your body and the chair are not yourself. That you can, Because you say, if you say I when you're referring to the body, then you are confused. But if you say my body, then what? Then your consciousness, you're not confused because consciousness right, sees the body and it says the body belongs to me, which is true. The body isn't there unless consciousness is there, so consciousness can own the body. So that's not a big problem. It is a big problem, but it's not that big a problem. But what, what are the other uh, material portions of myself? What does he say here? Mind. Woo! Now that one looks pretty conscious, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Huh? Don't don't your feelings 
Aren't, don't, huh? Don't your feelings seem to feel? Huh? Yeah, it is. Do, do your feelings feel? Huh? Come on. Do your feelings feel? Yeah, you're not too sure, though, huh? <laughs> no, not too. No, you're right. Your feelings don't feel. But, but, huh? If I insult you, you you'll go and tell your friend he he hurt me. Won't you? Huh? You'll go, that's what you say. He hurt me. Means what? I didn't hurt you. I hurt your feelings. But you thought you were feeling, so you said he hurt me. See how you jumped over and identified with this? You, your feelings don't feel. You feel your feelings. <laughs> Feels not quite the right word, but that's close enough. You feel your feelings. So what? Your feelings are, are they you? No? Sorry. Feelings, not me. You can see where this is going, huh? Oh, what about uh, your intellect? Is your intellect, con does your intellect know things? This is a tough one, isn't it? Because you think the int, you say, oh, you need a good intellect to know physics. Computer science, you need a good intellect to know that. The intellect needs to know that. This is, this is something you need to know. But is, can the intellect know anything? Is it conscious? Yeah, the answer is no. It's not conscious. Hmm. Well, it's part of my lower nature. It's an instrument a material instrument. And and what? Who uses that instrument to know thoughts? What's the answer? Me, consciousness. Consciousness needs this instrument, this material instrument, to know thoughts. So when you say, I think, is that true? It's true if you're the intellect, because <laughs> the intellect thinks, but is it true? No, it's not true, is it? Because the I, consciousness, doesn't have an intellect, does it? The, the consciousness, it has no parts. It has no moving parts. It's partless. It's actionless. It doesn't think. It's non-dual. There's nothing other than consciousness here. So you can't have consciousness and an intellect. There's no instruments here. So how's it going to walk, talk, eat, sleep, feel, think, do all this stuff? It's not sentient. It doesn't have instruments. So, huh? So, I'm not thinking, am I? 
The intellect is thinking. And what else is the material portion of my nature? It's called prakriti. The material. What's the other one? The other big one? Ego. It says here the doership. It's called kartutva or karta, the karta. We'll make it simple. The karta. Karta means what? The one that does action. The doer. That's a, so. Are, are, is that ego doing anything? Come on. Yeah, no, you're scared to say it. <laughs> because you say I'm doing all the time, don't you? <laughs> you don't want to admit you're ignorant. That's why you're holding back. Huh? You say I'm doing, but how can the I do? It has no feet. It has no hands. How's it going to do anything? It's non-dual consciousness. I There's the only other option. The one option is what? It's, it's, it matters doing it, which we know it can't do because it's inert. The other one is that consciousness can, uh, can't do it either because it's what? Non-dual awareness. So there's no possibility for it doing. So if we say I, the I, there's only one I, and that's consciousness, then who's doing this? Who's the doer? Is that I? Yeah, Maya, Ishwara. What is Maya? What is Ishwara? Ishwara makes it look like consciousness is what? Thinking, feeling, doing, you know, walking, talking, eating, sleeping, etc., etc., etc. There's one factor we didn't include here, huh? Now we're going to include it. This can't do anything. This can't do anything. Then, huh? And I'm 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 definitely Jiva is what only two things, isn't it? It's what awareness and matter. That's it. So there's some factor other than what awareness, you consciousness and matter, that's producing what the appearance of action. Sat asat vilakshanam. It's other than what? It's other than the real and other than the unreal. It's something altogether different. Sat asat vilakshanam. Vilakshanam means other than what is real, sat, or asat. This is asat or mitya, and this is sat. This is what's reality. So there's some other factor called what? Called Maya that's producing the appearance of action where actually no action is taking place. We just had that verse easier 
earlier. The man who sees action in, a, in actionlessness and actionless in action is indeed wise. In other words, he or she, that person, whoever it is, knows very well that I'm not doing anything. I, this eye's not doing anything, and this eye's not doing anything either. So that means what? Action is not real. But that might have to contemplate on this a bit. Because, you see, we're just giving you the teaching here so you can, you can what? Discriminate. Because every time you say, I'm doing something, what? Every time you think I'm doing something, what are you doing? You're reinforcing your ignorance of yourself, aren't you? You're building an ignorance vasana. Every time you say, I think, you're what? You're stating your ignorance. Every time you say, I feel, you're stating your ignorance. That's ignorant. You're, you're what? What are you doing? You're identifying with what? What is not real. Asat. Or mitya. You're identifying with something that exists, but it's not actually real. And something that exists, apparently exists, is as good as non-existent. The Buddhists say this is non-existent, but they're wrong. The Shunyavadis say, oh, that it doesn't exist, but they're wrong. And the modern teachers, Tony Parson and those people, they say it doesn't exist, but they're wrong. It does exist. You can't experience something that doesn't exist. So it does exist, but it's not real. I chase it. I chase objects here because I think they're real. If I knew they weren't real, would I chase them? No, that's right. No, the answer is no. I only want love and money and sex and power and education and fame and security and blah, 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 whatever it is, because I think it's real. I'm not chasing either. Huh? Because chasing is an action. Yeah, chasing. I'm not chasing either, that's right. I doesn't chase. <laughs> Jiva chases the death. Speaking to Jiva here, I'm, I'm objectifying Jiva. I'm not trying to insult anybody, okay? I'm just speaking from Jiva's point of view and from self's point of view. We're trying to what? Develop a discrimination between what? Who you are and who you aren't. This is called the Anatma. And this is your lower nature. Your lower nature is what? Made up of matter, and it's not you. Well, it's it's you, but you're not it. Let's put it that way. That's a better way to put it. That's more correct. This is you, because without you, there's no this. 
but you aren't this. You're free of this, just like the wood is free of the chair. The wood is free of the chair. The, the material world is what? Is not free of consciousness because how would you know of the material world if there weren't consciousness? You wouldn't. The, if consciousness is not there, there's no material world. The material world is just nothing but the knowledge of the material world, and knowledge depends upon consciousness. So the material world depends upon consciousness. You remove consciousness, and what? There's no material world. But you can't remove consciousness. But you can't remove consciousness. That's right. We can, we, we can remove the material world, but okay, try to remove yourself. Impossible. There's nobody else that's there that could remove it. <laughs> that's what non-dual means. There's not two selves. If there was another self somewhere, that self may be able to get rid of this self. But there's not two selves. So who's going to remove the self? Who's going to remove you? What does that mean? I'm eternal. I'm non-removable. <laughs> You'll be happy to get rid of me at the end of the week, I'll tell you. <laughs> this eye's removable, but you're not removable. Look at these teachings, huh? Good, huh? See the logic? Would you have worked that out on your own? <coughs> Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> you would not have worked that out on your own. Ishwara revealed that. This is the unexamined logic of your experience. You know it's true. That's why the room is dead silent and nobody's saying anything. Nobody's objecting or arguing with this. Because you know it's true. The logic has just revealed something that you know to be true. So you, you can't, what can you say? You just sit here, de oh, just silent. Huh? But you would have never thought of it, would you? This is an inquiry or analysis. What are we doing? We're just analyzing experience. That's all we're doing. You know you've got a material portion, you know you have a conscious portion. When we study the matter side, we have one conclusion, we study the consciousness side, there's another conclusion, then we have. Then all we need to do is see whether they fit together and how they fit together and what the relationship between consciousness and matter is. And who am I? Well, I can't be the what? The material portion, can I? We, all jivas, are a combination of what? Matter and consciousness. And that's why there's a confusion, and that's why we need discrimination. 
that confusion is called, called avidya. Avidya means ignorance of what? These two the relationship between these two factors. What is the relationship? Which one is free and which one isn't? Because I, I want freedom, right? I'm after freedom. We said here, we come, we're, in, we're seeking because we're seeking freedom. So which part of us is free? Well, obviously there's only one part that's free. The other part's me, but it's not free. So if I live on this side of the line and identify with this, then whatever happens here doesn't bother me, does it? But if I live on this side of the line, everything bothers me. My feelings bother me. My thoughts bother me. My body bothers me. Other people bother me. The air bothers me. The water bothers me. The elements bother me. The heat in the room, the sun, the moon. Everything bothers me if I'm over here. Because that's what it is. It's all great big jumble of elements. All what? Bothering and changing everything else. All beings and and what? All beings and the insentient elements come from the union of these two natures. Now, usually when we present, usually when we present the self, and most traditions do this, and most Vedanta texts do this, uh, we present the self as consciousness. Uh, why is that? Why do, we, why do we not present the self as matter? Well, because uh, matter is made out of the tamasic guna. And matter absorbs consciousness. It doesn't reflect consciousness. But jiva, the, but human beings, they have subtle bodies and they reflect consciousness and therefore you can see consciousness reflected in human beings. They're reflectors because their minds, their subtle bodies, are made out of sattva guna and sattva guna is a reflector for awareness. So we always present, generally present, consciousness first as what? As, as consciousness, as awareness or consciousness. Because it's easy to see that you're conscious. Remember the first day I asked, does anybody think they're not conscious? I was getting you, and nobody raised their hand. So I know what? Then that everybody knows that they're conscious. And then I, then I asked you, well, I said, do you know you exist? And you said, I, nobody, and I said, does anybody think they don't exist? And nobody raised their hand. So then I understood what? That you know you're existent and you know you're conscious. So we've got two-thirds of the problem right there solved immediately. We know you're two-thirds enlightened, at least. Huh? And then I said, the only question is, is your consciousness limited or limitless? And then, huh? 
most everybody said it was limited or they didn't want to say because they didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> but basically the feeling is that my consciousness is limited, right? So then, then our job is to get rid of the sense of limitation that to show you that your consciousness is not limited. So we have teachings for do that. But what about matter? If matter is consciousness, how am I supposed to see consciousness here? How, 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 are we, how am I going to see it here? I can see it here reflected in my mind. That's not too bad. Oh, yeah, it's a reflection, but that's close enough. As we say in America, close enough for government work. It's okay. Don't have to be precise. You know, you work for the government, close enough. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but, huh? but what about here? How do you see consciousness here? Now look, you do do the glasses exist? Huh? Yes. Answer is yes. You say, is it correct to say the glasses exist? Is that, is that a correct statement? Well, no, but yes, we'll say yes. Let's say yes, for, just for argument, okay? Let's say the glasses exist. Now, what does that mean? The glasses are the subject, glasses is a subject, and they exist. That means they do something, right? They exist. That's the verb. In every sentence you have a subject and a verb, a predicate, and that's a verb. Huh? So you say, the glasses exist. Then that means what? Does the existence belong to the glasses? Then. But you said the glasses exist. So it looks to me like what? The existence belongs to the glasses. Not unconditionally. Now, okay. Now, does the hand exist? Yeah. Yes, it does. Does the existence belong to the hand? Huh? It doesn't, does it? Now we bring another, huh? Or the table. Does the existence belong to the table? Well, it's being existed. Huh? If that's correct. Who said that? Is it? Yeah, it's being, it's, it's being existed. In other words, existence glasses, existence tables, existence lamps, existence bodies. The existence of this glasses doesn't bump away the existence of the hand, does it? It can't displace the existence of the hand. If I take the existence of the glasses, I can't remove the existence over here because they're what's the same existence. The same existence here, what has created the glasses, as the same existence here has created the hand. It's exactly the same existence. Understand? 
So all objects belong to existence, don't they? Existence is this existence consciousness is the substrate for all the objects. The objects what? Don't have any existence of their own, do they? Just like these sentient these sentient beings don't have any consciousness of their own, do they? Does the consciousness that belongs to you is that does the consciousness belong to you or does it belong to you? Hmm. <laughs> no. Consciousness use and consciousness use. The same consciousness becomes you and you and you and you and me. Means what? The consciousness doesn't belong to the person, just like the existence doesn't belong to what? The chair or the table or whatever it is. Now, what's the difference between your consciousness and your existence? Can you can you huh? Can you find a can you find a gap between your consciousness and your existence? Mm -hmm. Can you exist without being conscious? Can you be conscious unless you exist? Means what? Your consciousness and your existence are the same. We call that sat and chit. The self is sat, chit, ananda. So there's no difference between your consciousness and your chit, your your and your sat, your existence. There's no difference between your what? Your awareness and your body. But they look like they're different, don't they? What's making them look like they're different? Maya, ignorance. The ignorance of your nature is sat chit. Now, is is this sat chit is is the existence limited by the object? No. Is the consciousness limited by the thoughts that appear in it? No. no. That means what? The consciousness or the existence is anantam. Means limitless. The body has a form, the glasses have a form, but consciousness what and existence are formless. And they take the form of the glasses when Maya is operating. When Maya is operating, it produces all these forms. These bodies, these people, the air, the fire, the water, the space, the earth, all of these things are produced out of consciousness by Maya. So if I want to like see consciousness and and get develop a relationship with consciousness, what do I have to do? See all the forms in my environment as consciousness, which they are, isn't it? 
and develop a relationship with the consciousness in the forms, not with the forms themselves. Why? Because the forms are asat. They're apparently real, but what? The consciousness is the real part in myself and in all the objects. To get to that, I've got to... Huh? Okay. Yeah. And that's what the second section of the Bhagavad Gita is about. is about worshipping or meditating on the forms of consciousness. To prepare my mind, what? To free my mind of the forms. To get to the next stage, which is formless meditation. In other words, formless meditation is Vedanta, or understanding what? The self without form. Simply by the way we're doing now. You see how we got to the self? How we worked through the self? Starting with the material world? How we got back to the self? That's the logic you need to understand. If you can work that logic on your own mind, huh? I'm working it for you. I'm showing you how to do it. This, this is the teaching. Uh, this, is what, this is a profitable use of your mind. <laughs> Longing for objects is not a proper use of your mind. A proper use, yes ma'am? Oh, you're just stretching your arm. <laughs> a proper use of your mind is what? Using this logic to what? Separate yourself from, your, from the objects. Your body, your mind, your feelings, your thoughts, the world around you. Until it's clear which is which. You have no choice about either one. There's nothing you can do about consciousness and there's nothing you can do about objects. The objects are eternal and they're not real. So how are you going to change them? And if they are real, and, and what is real, you can't change that either, can you? You can't change something that's unreal huh? and you can't change something that is real. And those are the only two categories in existence. What's real and what isn't. And what? And what's apparently real. So if we understand this third category, then what? We won't try to change these two. We'll know that this third category, Maya, what? Is creating the problem. And you'll see the Maya working in you in the form of what? your denial of yourself as awareness and your projection of yourself as a jiva, as a doer, enjoyer entity. Because this maya has two powers. It's the power to conceal, that's called avarana shakti, and the power to project, that's called vikshepa shakti. And those two powers, what, hide the self from you and make it look like you're the body, mind, intellect entity. Yes, sir. What? What is it? <clears throat> Does protection, projection means in the future? So it needs karma. Uh, it no, karma? no, not not no. It's a psychological principle. It it means 
of thinking that something is something other than what it is. Like, for example, a snake and a rope. Do you know that story? In the present, there's a, there's a, sna a rope, but it looks like a snake. Because the man is fearful and tired and it's, it's twilight, he sees a snake, but there's only a rope. Is the mind, huh? So <clears throat> that's an example of Maya. That's the projecting power of Maya. Maya has two powers. It hides the snake, it hides the rope, and it projects a snake. Because of the of the past? Um, no, not because of the past. No. <laughs> no, not, no, there's no future or past involved in it. This is just in the present. There is no past. If reality is non-dual, there's no future and there's no past. This projection and denial takes place in the present. It's just a power that's operating now that's hiding yourself from yourself and making you think you're this body and mind. It's an idea that I'm the body and mind. It's a projection. Now, how do we, how do we, how does the man get rid of the, the snake? Yeah, what? A man comes along, the man means the Vedanta. <laughs> That's what the man is in the story. And what does the man do? He points out the, the snake. He says, what you're looking at is not a snake, it's a rope. I mean, it's, it's a rope. He says, it's not a snake, it's a rope. And then what does the man do? He has his second look. He investigates, using the scripture, the teaching, he investigates and then he sees, oh, you're right, I was wrong, I was tired, it was dark, I, I was fearful, and I what? I saw a snake where there was actually a rope. So what what I'm what am I seeing here? I'm actually consciousness, but I see myself as this body and mind, and this ego. I'm actually only consciousness, but I'm projecting what? This idea that I'm the body and mind. And that, huh? And I need what Vedanta, a teaching that points out that I'm consciousness. And how did we do that? Well, we separated what? The material side from the, we separated the snake and the rope. This is the snake and this is the rope. How did we do it? We separated the two. We thought through using our knowledge of consciousness which we get from the scripture, and using our knowledge of matter, which we get from the scripture, which is just common sense, because you know very well you're conscious and you're material. You know you have both of those portions. That's not a mystery. Then, then what we do. Then understanding these two principles, we analyze the relationship between the two, and we discover that this is not real, that this is a snake, and that this is the rope. One of them, satya, it's, it's, in, it's, it's independently existing. Satya means you can't remove yourself. <laughs> okay? That's what Vedamurti says. You can't negate consciousness. You can negate the snake, 
you can get rid of the snake because it's huh because it's only an appearance and you get rid of it because why it's produced by ignorance and you've got knowledge so knowledge removes ignorance so what we have to do is what we have to point out that it's ignorant to think that you're this body and mind i mean that you're this body and this mind and all that sort of thing and you can you can see why vedanta is not easy and why it's hard work because I've been thinking I'm this body and mind all along. I've been told I'm this body and mind. Mom and Pop and the government and everybody else. And then on top of it, Maya makes me think that way anyway. <laughs> and Maya has made my mother and my father and the teachers, everybody's under the spell of Maya. Krishna said there, he just said in chapter 4, By my Maya, I delude all these beings. He says, by my mind, I hide the self from all these beings. He's speaking as what? As avatar, as consciousness. So it means everybody's deluded here. Everybody thinks they're this body and mind. And the consciousness that they are, that you're, you're experiencing all the time, 24-7, you're always experiencing consciousness, because it's yourself. Tell me, tell me when you're not experiencing yourself. When you're awake, you're experiencing yourself. When you're dreaming, you're experiencing yourself. And when you're in deep sleep, you're experiencing yourself. Those are the only three states you've got. Jiva's wake and dream and deep sleep. That's it. And on all of those states, you're experiencing yourself. So then what? I've got an ignorance problem. I don't have an experience problem at all. I'm always experiencing myself, I always am myself, I just am confusing myself with my equipment. Swami used to call it just the equipment. This is just equipment. Bhagavan gave you, right? when you joined the human race, he gave you a body and mind and stuff. He said, here, this is your equipment, you can use that, play with it. But I think it's me. <laughs> These are just instruments. The, the body, mind, intellect, and ego are just instruments through which I, which I use what to what enjoy myself here. They, they're not me. When the instruments wear out, if I need another instrument, Ishwara will give me another instrument. If I know who I am, I don't need another instrument. And I won't get another instrument because I don't need another instrument. I'll just do fine. Just like I'm doing fine now, I'll do fine without this body and mind. Because I'm eternal, always existent, ever existent, limitless, original consciousness. And all moksha is is, is, is what? Is, is the the knowledge that gives you the power to say that with confidence. That's what moksha is. You just, huh? You have to assert it. But you can't assert it until you understand it. There's all kinds of, of gurus out there who've had some kind of experience or glimpse, some sort of satori or samadhi or something, and they've had a glimpse, and they claim it. But they don't they don't really know it. 
they know about it, they claim it as an object, they claim it as an experience, and so forth and so on. But to confidently state that is moksha. And it doesn't mean that this <laughs> is limitless, non-dual action, is ordinary awareness. If a person says, I am enlightened, meaning if this person says I am enlightened, then what is that? We call that enlightenment sickness. Uh, means what? That person is enlightened in the dream. <laughs> uh, that's dream enlightenment. The person has pulled this thing down here and said, huh, I'm enlightened here in this dream. But enlightenment is freedom from the dream. <laughs> enlightenment is freedom from the person who claims I'm enlightened. The only person that can claim that is the universal person, the real person. Purushottama, it's called in the Gita. The supreme person. Supreme is a bad word. It means limitless person. It means it's not a person. Person means what? Person is a symbol. Because people are conscious, and it's, so it's a symbol of consciousness. It's limitless consciousness. Yes, sir. One question, clarification. Knowledge is made out of matter and impossible without maya? That's right. Yeah, that's correct. And is, is it apparently real? Or is it yes. Yeah, okay. there's no knowledge in consciousness. Consciousness is beyond knowledge. It's dependent. Knowledge is dependent upon consciousness. How... Can Maya operate? There's no knowledge in deep sleep, for example. Okay. So, so how how real is knowledge? Yeah, Vedanta's all in Maya. We're all down here in Maya. Vedanta's working here. The Guru's in Maya. Vedanta's in Maya. The Jiva's in Maya. Huh? We're all working down here. Huh? It's got to be that way. This is why Neo-Advaita doesn't work. They, they, they try to talk from here, and they assume that you're here. They don't want to come down here, because the reason they don't is because they said it doesn't exist. They said you're not the doer, there's no ignorance, there's no knowledge, there's no guru, there's no scripture, there's no, 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 no. They just go through the whole list, and they negate everything. So how are they going to get you out of here? We come right down in here, this, this teaching is right here. The teacher's in Maya, the scripture's in Maya, the knowledge is in Maya, the ignorance is Maya, everything is Maya. We're in Maya, but we work our way out of it by using our brain. We don't try to shut down our brain. We're not trying to stop thinking or transcend our thinking. God gave us a brain for a reason, and okay, we got this intellect to work our way out of this problem. That's why we got the intellect. That's what it's for. It's not for manipulating all kinds of stuff to get what you want. <laughs> if you just use your brain to manipulate all kinds of stuff to get what you want, all you're going to get is more stuff and more wants. That's how it works. So instead of turning, saying that the intellect is useless and it should be stopped and we should blah, 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 we say, no, this is a great tool. Here's how to use it. So like that. Anyway, go ahead. I got excited there. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I was one. I've been wondering whether um, um, Maya is also tricking us into seeing knowledge differently as it is. Well, yeah, we we don't know the difference between knowledge and ignorance. That's right. Okay, that's. We think when you say I'm a doer, you think that's knowledge, don't you? Huh? When you say I, if I say I'm teaching, now that's ignorance, isn't it? But if I think I'm teaching, then I've what? I've confused knowledge with ignorance because it's ignorant to say I'm teaching because I'm awareness. Now, if I say I'm a jiva, then I can say I'm teaching. I'm awareness appearing as a teacher called Jim and I'm teaching, then that's not ignorance because I'm taking this into account. Most people think... Ignorance is knowledge. That's what the confusion is. That's what the, huh? They mistake huh, ignorance. They mistake knowledge for ignorance. But, it's just weird. But knowledge is existing, but ignorance is only apparently existing. No, knowledge apparently exists too. You, 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 you need an apparent knowledge to get rid of an apparent ignorance. You can't use a real knowledge to get rid of apparent ignorance and an apparent knowledge to get rid of a real ignorance. You need an apparent knowledge to get rid of apparent ignorance because they're both in the apparent reality. Okay. Mm -hmm. Huh? It's a quality of Maya. Yeah. Ignorance and knowledge belong to Maya. Ignorance and knowledge are in Maya. But there's a particular knowledge in Maya, that's called scripture, Vedanta, which is not based upon human beings thinking, which in other words, it's not a religion or a philosophy. It's a, it's a revealed means of knowledge that what? Presents the knowledge that gets you out of Maya. <laughs> yes, sir. Last, um, but you said awareness can know itself even in the absence of Maya. Yeah, it can, it does. It knows itself in the presence of Maya so, and it knows itself in the absence of Maya. So, what, so how does Maya... Yeah, I understand, right? Huh? And how does Maya make it forget? No, so how, uh, if the uh. basis of knowledge is in matter, so how can awareness know itself? The well, the basis of, of self-knowledge is not matter. The basis of self-knowledge is, is awareness and awareness is real. So there are two kinds of two knowledge. kinds of knowledge. Okay. That's right. Higher knowledge. Are you saying paraprakriti and aparaprakriti? The higher knowledge and the lower knowledge. I should have made that clear. Okay. The higher knowledge is knowledge that's centered on this, and the lower knowledge is knowledge that's centered on this. This is called prakriti, and this is called paraprakriti. This is called aparaprakriti, and this is called paraprakriti. So this is limitless awareness, and this is what? Limited awareness. So the knowledge here is relative and limited, and the knowledge here is absolute and unlimited. Because the knowledge, what? Is true to the object. Okay? So there's two kinds of knowledge. Self-knowledge and what? And object knowledge. 
And since we want the self, we want self-knowledge. But self-knowledge includes object knowledge. And unless you got, you can't deny the objects. This is why this is why we laugh at the at the modern guys. They don't want to talk about the objects. They want to deny the objects. You can see ignorance. You can see avarana, what we call avarana, or concealing. That's one of the powers of Maya. It's concealing from them the understanding that they need to talk about matter. They need to take it seriously. They cannot just deny it. They just all they can say is you you have to you have to transcend it. That's all they can say, or you have to stop thinking about it. <clears throat> Neither of which works. This is why these teachings are so frustrating. You cannot transcend it, and you can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> Neither one you can do. Matter exists and self exists. One's real and one's apparently real. And all I need, and I need to know the, the the difference. And to know the difference, I need to be thinking clearly. We call this discrimination. I just need to know what is what is real and what is apparently real. I need to understand what this is, and I need to understand what this is, and then I have complete knowledge. This knowledge of this isn't enough. Knowledge of this isn't enough. Knowledge of the two together is knowledge of everything that is. What is it, the verse said, what is it knowing which everything else is known? Knowing the, these, what every, knowing this, everything else is known because everything here, what, comes from this. The effect, this is teachings called karya karna wada. Karna karya wada. It means what? The effect is non-different from the cause. The effect is just the cause. The effect is just the cause in a particular form. The uh, the glasses are just existence. What in a particular form? The hand is just existence in a particular form. That's all. There's no existence is like space. Consciousness and existence is like space. It pervades everything. Space doesn't. Space, you, you can understand. If you can understand space, you can understand consciousness. Does, does space come up to here and stop? And then does it start over here? Do the, when I put the glasses in space, does the space sprung out and make room for the glasses? No, it doesn't, does it? Mm -hmm. huh? No matter where I put the glasses, it has no effect on the space, does it? Why? Because space is subtler than the glasses and it pervades every single atom of the, the right down to the bosons and the Higgs bosons and the neutrons and the protons. It just pervades every single atom of that. So it's not displaced by any object. Well, <laughs> consciousness is just like space. It pervades everything including space. The scientists can't get to that. <laughs> they can get up to space. They can understand it up to there. But they just can't make the next step. Because they're stuck with their means of knowledge, inference and perception. 
And inference and perception won't take you past Maya. Inference and perception will take you right up to here to where space comes, but what it won't put you up here. It takes another step. And that's what this that's what Vedanta is. Vedanta takes you the next step. But we have to throw out perception and inference as our means of knowledge and trust the scripture until we see that it works. Yes, sir. And the last step, is it grace or it's the mind? Or it's both? It's, it's grace in the sense that that you have the uh, intelligence to uh, understand the teaching, that you have a proper teacher and a proper scripture, that's the grace. But you need the mind. You need your effort. You need to discriminate. So grace appears in the form of this teaching. It's not going to happen just without any, by, by itself. No knowledge happens on its own. Okay? Knowledge requires a means of knowledge. Knowledge doesn't just flip, fly in out of the blue. It requires a means of knowledge. The means of knowledge for objects are what? Intellect, mind, right, and senses. These are the means that we're given here for objects. We know intellectual objects with this. We know emotional objects with this. We know physical objects with the senses. But the self is beyond perception and inference, so I can't. They can't be known by these means, because these the, the self is beyond them. So you can't smell or taste, see or taste or touch or feel or think the self. So that's not going to work. So you need another means of knowledge for self knowledge. It's not just going to happen. That's why you need a teaching and a teacher, because that's what the te it, it it takes you the next step. And that, and grace is not something that happens. Grace is earned. <laughs> it isn't like God is sitting up there in the sky and saying, "Gee, she's really cute. I like her butt, and she's, <laughs> and she's, and she wants self knowledge. So I'm going to give her self knowledge. But that girl next to her, she's got a big nose and a little too fat. She's not my type. I'm going to keep her from getting self knowledge. I won't give her grace today." It's not like that. Grace comes because you earn it. And how do you earn it? By following Dharma and doing the right thing. When you, when you follow Dharma and do the right thing, huh, you develop yourself and become a mature person, then what? Then the scripture and the teacher appears. What? Yeah, sure. No, grace only applies here. Grace is just what? Yeah, that applies here. Yeah, it's part of Maya. That's right. But but it it's it's earned. You huh? It it doesn't happen, huh? No, no, it's not. That's actually karma. No, scripture is very clear on that. That's why it happens to some people and it happens to others. And when you look at when you analyze the people who've been blessed with this knowledge, you, you, you can see that they actually qualified themselves. Huh? You can see by their lives. 
there's a huge body of literature of enlightened people for a long, long time. And there are certain factors that are always operating in these enlightened people. And there's a whole body of literature on all the people who haven't got enlightened, and they're always lacking those qualifications. And that's why we, we spend so much time talking about the qualifications, because if you don't understand it, then it's because you're not qualified, and then we say, okay, now get qualified, so earn it, earn the qualifications, and then the grace will come. Then what? Then you'll understand, boom, click. And you'll think it's like magic, but it wasn't like magic. It's because you did all the work. <laughs> this is why he, the first six chapters are about your self-effort. You have to do your karma yoga. You have to live a certain way. You have to be an honest, sincere person. You need to be discriminating and dispassionate and so forth and so on. In Shankar's, in Shankar's Viveka Chudamani, all those qualifications are listed. And in my new book, I've expanded them a bit and described them. You should get the new book. It's, uh, it's out now. You can get it here in Europe. It's, I think, 12 euros or something. Uh, read it, particularly the qualification section, because that's how you earn the grace. And the problem is, you see, the, 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 the modern teachers don't tell you you need to be qualified. They won't, they won't tell, because if they tell you that, there won't be anybody there. Now, now, we tell you're not qualified, but we've got a way to help you qualify. You're going to see in the Gita. The Gita helps you develop the qualifications. We're going to see some chapters now, before too long, that what, what those qualifications are and how to develop them. They're practical tools for, for qualifying yourself and receiving grace. But they don't want to tell you that. <laughs> Somebody told some, uh, so, some, I think it was three or four years ago, uh, a, there was a, a, a Muji guy, and he, he, he fell in love with Vedanta. And he liked me a lot. And he thought, he thought, he had this, what he thought was a real brainy idea. And that was, I, I, this was in Chiruvannamalaya, and I was teaching there, and Muji was teaching there. He said, you know what? He said, we can really make a big event. I thought, oh, Jesus. Because <laughs> he's one of these perennial spiritual guys. It's been in the spiritual world for like 40 years. He's got a big website and all this stuff. He said, let's have a debate, you and Muji. He wants me and Muji to debate. I said, no, I don't think so. It's all right. Never mind. And he kept bothering me, pestering me. Oh, let's have a debate. Let's have a we can get we can get five hundred people. There'll be a thousand people come. This'll be big. <laughs> he kept bugging me. I said, Well, okay, tell you what. You get me one of Muji's books. I, I have no idea what Muji says. Why would I go to Muji? Muji likes me, actually. He came running up to me one day in the in the airport, in Gatwick Airport, almost grabbed my hand. I thought he was going to tear it off. He wouldn't let go. He was just really friendly and nice, and we had a nice chat and so forth and so forth. But he wanted us to debate. So I, uh, just to get him off my back, because I had no intention of doing it, uh, just, I said, get, get one of Moji's books so I can find out what his teaching is. Because if I'm going to debate him, then I at least ought to know what he's talking about. I can't just start blah, blah, blahing, you know. And uh, so 
he brings me this big fat book. It just came out. It was called The Breath of the Absolute. Did you see it? Yeah. Huh? It's a big fat book. Actually, it's not that big fat a book. It's a fat book, but the margins are really thick. <laughs> and there's a lot of pictures and doodly stuff in between. So there's not that much text. But it looks like a real heavy-duty book. I, actually, I read... No, seriously. I, I'm, I'm not making... It's not guru envy, okay? I'm just telling you. So, so I, uh, I read about, I don't know, about 50, 60 pages. But on the very first page, you know what it said? Very first page. The last or the second to last paragraph on a very small par- page. It said, there are no qualifications for enlightenment. Ergo, 5,000 people seen Muji. 20 people here. Hmm. Hmm. Some people see both. Some people go to Muji, some people come here. Yeah, occasionally. (laughs) Basically, after they've been here, they don't go back to Muji. Except just, just for the sangha, the cute girls, and the nice satsang, and the nice high. <laughs> but, you know, no, not many come. Because they're not, you know, this is a different story. This is a different teaching. This is for qualified people. This is the most sophisticated teaching on the planet, basically. And it requires all these qualifications. And, and those people want to be what? They want to be happy. They want to have their hugs. They want to have their sanghas. They want to love Muji. He's a great guy. He's, he looks very garujic. He looks great up there. huh? And they got a daddy figure to worship who loves them. Hell, man, what else can you ask for? And, huh? So they don't, and they don't want to hear about this. I, I know because I used to, at the same time I was teaching there, I used to go to the, this little cafe. It was called Satya Cafe. It's right there near where Muji was teaching and I was teaching. We were both teaching in buildings next to each other. And, uh, and so after my talk, I used to go and have lunch there. And, and many of Muji's people went there to, to eat also. They didn't know who I was. Nobody did. I was just, I was just I mean, like invisible. And, and I would just sit there and eat my tali meal and they'd all be there and they'd all be talking. And I just sat in the corner and listened. And that's all, just to hear what you know, what what they were saying and what they were talking about. And you know what it was all about? The incredible energy, man. The energy. It's unbelievable. It's so incredible, huh? That was it. It was all big shakti. It was all a big warm fuzzy thing. And they said, "Yeah, huh?" But but and then one of them said, "Yeah, but but where is it now?" means as soon as they're out of the Sangha, what the energy's poof. Huh? Now that's all right. He's back on at four o'clock for his evening talk. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I mean, yeah. But uh, they want to feel good. That's fair enough. And it's all good. Because he's sort of talking about it and around it. And he's getting people in the right place. And that's good. No, it's not a criticism. I'm just saying that which on this topic of grace, huh? grace isn't just flying out of the blue. You've got to earn it. And, there, and so, Swami Don just gives these first six chapters for Arjuna. Krishna's telling Arjuna, okay, now here's your work. Here's what you've got to do. 
Now, Juno, he just had a doubt. Remember, he said, I don't know. What about this? Am I gonna, can I succeed? This seems like a big deal. This seems like it's very hard because my mind is very disturbed. And, well. Okay. On 9.30 tomorrow, we will... Well, we didn't get far into Chapter 7, but... <laughs> no, that's that's a great... Uh, huh? Just that one. Four, four to seven. It's the whole essence of the teaching right here. Satya Mitya, the higher and the lower self, what is what? Separating the spiritual portion, the spiritual, the self portion, the consciousness portion from the material portion. In your understanding only. And the next verse is, oh, it's beautiful. We'll get on to it tomorrow. So. Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yogavitya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.